The New Age Christianity Podcast is brought to you by... Hello, 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 New Age Christian family. This is Austin Fletcher. You are listening to the New Age Christian Podcast, and this is episode number 32. So today we're going to talk about covenant progression, specifically covenant progression with God that we see laid out in the Bible. Why is the Old Testament so different from the New Testament? What is this idea of covenant with Israel, with Jesus, with Noah, I mean, heck, that's what the rainbow's all about, right? It's a covenant with God. What is the point of covenant and why do we need it? More specifically, what do these covenants have to do with you, right? It should really always come down to what is this going on between me and God? And is there a need for this kind of progression? And what does it mean? And how can I see it in my life? Obviously, I wouldn't bring it up if I didn't think that it was absolutely meaningful for your life. And so I want to do my best to unpack it as always. Let's get started and hopefully you'll find something you've never heard before. All right. So you've heard the verse that says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you didn't know it was a verse, it is in the Bible. And that concept isn't just in the Bible once. It is it's in the Bible in multiple ways. Jesus talks about how the scriptures cannot be broken. And, you know, we have so many concepts about who God is, that God is good and God is love and God doesn't change. And he's always the same God. And yet, when you look at the God of the Old Testament and you look at the God of the New Testament, sometimes you wonder, like, they couldn't be further apart. The challenge that the Old Testament presents for most Christians, and honestly, just for the whole world, is if that is what God looks like, no thank you, right? And there is a movement inside of the church right now that I mention in the episode, I don't know, it's one of the early episodes of the podcast about what do you do with the Bible. There's a movement inside of the church that is attempting to answer this question by saying, well, the Bible isn't really the inspired word of God. It's still just written by a bunch of people and it's their perspective. And therefore, you know, you can explain that God tells you to murder an entire nation of people with the women and children and everything, because that's really just, you know, it's man's take. It's not who God really was. Jesus is who God really was. Okay. I get where people are getting that, and I understand that, yes, Jesus is the Word made flesh. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, that his love and his forgiveness and his gentleness are absolutely who God is and has always been. That is his character. Yet, if you look at the life of Jesus, this is the same God who told Jesus to go die on a cross. This is the same God, according to Jesus' words, that Jesus says that there was a man who was born blind so that people would see the glory of God, right? He said that Lazarus died so that the glory of God could be seen. So this is the same Jesus that says this is what God looks like. And then out of his own mouth, he's saying somebody was blinded because of God and somebody died because of God. And as a matter of fact, the same God wants me to go die and experience all of this pain. So either Jesus looks like the Father, and none of that is something that the Father would want, 
or Jesus looks exactly like the Father, and the Father, there's dynamics of who God is that we think we would like to understand by having this soft, you know, oh, Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Yeah, he is. He's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. And there's uh, components of, you know, the same guy who made his own whip. I don't know if you guys have never seen that in scripture. So Jesus cleared out the temple twice. And the very first time he did it, he actually braided his own whip. Think about how long that takes. You got to go find the leather. You got to actually braid it. You got to actually premeditate what you're going to do with this thing. You think he was randomly braiding a whip as a carpenter? No, he knew exactly what he was doing. He went and braided his whip and drove out the money changers in the temple. This was the first time he did it. And then he did it again a few years later. So (laughs) that Jesus, that nice, gentle, loving Jesus was a perfect image of the father. And how do you reconcile some of that stuff? And then you go back to the Old Testament and you get the nation of Israel literally being instructed by God to kill men, women, children, every animal, burn everything, destroy everything, right? And there are some teachings out there who say, well, that's easy to understand because those nations had mixtures, literally, there are people who believe that there were DNA mixtures and that the Nephilim from Genesis chapter 6 were intermarried with those tribes and those people, and therefore God was cleaning the earth of the seed of Satan. And I don't genuinely have a problem with any theories that people present, because there's so many things we cannot definitively know. But it is kind of humorous when people try to justify this loving God by saying, well, he killed all the men, women, and children because they had Satan inside of them. (laughs) I'm sorry. But there may be some truth to the DNA experiments of aliens and angels and all that stuff, but I still don't see this God being separate enough from anybody to say, you know what, the only answer is you need to be murdered. Is God the God of those angels? Is God the God of, I mean, he's either God or he's not. And if you've listened to my teachings on Satan and hell and all that, then you realize that there is no such thing as being separate from God. There's no such thing as being outside of God, either that or God is not everywhere and everything. So why on earth would he have a nation of people kill an entire other nation of people because of their so-called DNA problem? So that one gets thrown out. And then you have this other idea that um, those people were unrighteous and they're sinners and Israel is the chosen people of God. And again, people then go, well, then that God's an asshole and I have no desire to be with him. And on top of that, Christians are assholes and Jews are assholes and everybody who believes that this God, they're all. And so I don't believe in God. I said in the last episode that if your gospel doesn't make everybody who hears it smile, then it's not news that's too good to be true. If your gospel goes to the most random person and you explain what is the truth of their eternal state and they have received in any way something that they need to do or something that they need to change and become, then what you have delivered is a conditional gospel. You've delivered conditional love. You've delivered conditional forgiveness. But if your gospel is one that says, hey, you don't actually need to do anything. Just, hey, I just want to make you aware of who you really are. The only reason you have to believe this is for your own good. It's not to please God. Like God's already forgiven you. Like that's, 
But if you believed it, you would actually, you know, maybe forgive yourself and maybe you would be convinced in your own mind. So I'm not here to give you, tell you to do something that you have to do for God. I'm just telling you what is the truth that you've probably never heard. And that sounds like really good news, right? Like you don't have to do anything. You already are. Just It's really just about what you can do for yourself is forgive yourself and understand that you don't have anything you have to do. That's the gospel. In a nutshell, if you've never heard that presentation of the gospel, I'm sorry. That really sucks that you've never heard it. So you contrast that gospel with the God of the Old Testament, and you have to figure out, you have to ask, what happened, right? This God who literally says to Moses and Joshua as they're coming in the promised land, kill them all, kill them all. Like, that can't be the same God. And then this God that has Jesus forgiving everyone and all this stuff. And then at the same time, Jesus saying that this man was born blind so that you would see the glory of God. Like, that can't be the same God, right? Like, we don't want to ask that. But the reality is that God has never changed. So if God has never changed, then what is going on? What is God? Now, I'm going to do my best to explain the way in which I have found peace with this question. And it is a giant question. What do you do with this God? And there's some more teachings in detail about the covenant progression in the Bible on the website, uh, Jonathan Welton again, that uh, if you go find uh, different teachings that I have of him on the newagechristianity.org website, you'll find more detail that uh, it differs a little bit with what I'm about to tell you, but it's close enough and it's certainly you know, don't listen to what I have to tell you. Don't listen to what Jonathan Welton has to tell you. Don't listen to what anybody has to tell you as this carte blanche definitive truth. Use all of it. Chew the meat, spit out the bones. You're going to be in a different place. And this podcast is hopefully going to help explain that a bit. So covenant progression in the Bible. And I want to get a little bit technical in the beginning because it kind of sets up an explanation of this Old Testament God versus the New Testament God. That is, we don't realize in ancient times that there were these things known as covenants between nations. It's essentially like a modern-day treaty. It's a modern-day, think, what would you do if you had a group of people, you know, back all the way out from the world that you know now? Because the world you know now is highly evolved in how people groups relate to each other. But think about it back then. All you had was maybe some fellow family members and everything was kind of tribal, right? And so... Your larger tribes kind of had a little bit larger context and maybe they, you know, intermarried with some other tribes. And so those tribes kind of made a little bit of a nation concept. But in by and large, there were no such thing as countries. There were no such thing as borders. There were no such thing as, you know, national armies. And in a very large sense, it was, you know, the most power, every man for himself. And you group together with other people based on mutual agreement and mutual uh, benefit. As opposed to nowadays, you're born into a country, you're born into a place where you kind of already have a lot of assumed relationships and assumed responsibilities. Back then, your only relationships and responsibilities were to your family, and then whatever relationships your family or your tribe kind of worked out. And you worked out those relationships in the form of covenant. And as time progressed, you begin to have nations that you begin to have kings and kind of the beginnings of armies and uh, national identities, if you will. 
where, you know, and it was largely bordered on language. You know, what language did you speak? What currency did you use? What diet did you eat? Because it was largely regional. So if you've never really mentally gone back to how society would have even worked before this world that we're born into, then you understand that in order to really get anything done with other another people group, you, you have to have a covenant. You have to have basically an, a set of agreements. And in this case, that those covenants were often not only with the people, but with their those people's God. So imagine if I have a God and you have a God, and you and I want to make an agreement, and we come and we write this agreement down on stone tablets or a piece of paper. Often, you know, especially in the beginning, it was more symbolic, uh, you know, because writing, heck, heck, writing even didn't exist for a lot of tribes for a long time. So we have this agreement together, and then we would symbolically trade something, and I would then go put your side of the covenant in the temple of my God, and you would go put my side of the covenant in the temple of your God. And the idea was that if I broke my side of the covenant, that my God would punish me. And if you broke your side of the covenant, that your God would punish you. Because I didn't believe in your God, but I believed in my God. And so I would come and hold these promises inside of my temple. And then we would basically be held to covenant by our deities. And our deities were our our punishment. Now, inside of this, there were three different types of covenant in ancient times. The first type of covenant was known as a vassal covenant. And uh, Jonathan Welton explains these really well. A lot of these details I just get from him. The vassal covenant was essentially a greater king or a greater party comes to a lesser party and makes a covenant with them that essentially says, you do what I tell you to do and I won't kill you. Or I won't enslave you. Um, it's essentially a controlling covenant. It's an overtaking of, you know, if you do this, then I won't do this. And as a matter of fact, I will rule over you and essentially threaten. I overtake you. I threaten you. And we have a great relationship. And that's a vassal covenant. Then you have a kinship covenant, which is two equal kings who come together and say, hey, let's hang out together. Let's make some mutual promises together. And I won't do this and you won't do that. I will do this and you will do that. And we will make an agreement and we are equals. And then the last one is a grant covenant where again, you have unequality where a greater king comes to a lesser king. And instead of saying, I won't kill you, Uh, you know, don't do these things and I won't kill you or do this and I won't kill you. It's not a threat. It's actually a almost like a present like, hey, I'm greater than you are and I will protect you. Right? I will provide for you. My house is sufficient enough to provide you protection, food, uh, whatever. And it's essentially a kind of like a big brother scenario. And so you have these three different types of covenant And what you see in the Bible is a progression of covenant relationship with God. And I'll talk about on a bigger scale, especially towards the end, with God and humanity. And in the first case, that covenant starts with a tribe of Israel. And so in that covenant, 
you have this overarching relationship that says, hey, you guys don't sin, I won't kill you, right? If you guys don't sin, I'll forgive you. And then obviously they do sin a lot. And so he has to find these different ways to not kill them. Although if you even look at multiple times throughout scripture, he wanted to. (laughs) Um, And I'm not going to get into the nuts and bolts of how God actually made a covenant with himself because nobody else was higher than him. And so he made a, a covenant with himself through Jesus. I mean, that is part of this progression. Again, I don't need to rehash what Jonathan Welton lays out. I'm trying to lay out a little bit bigger picture, a bigger perspective for you personally. But you have these three types of covenants, and then in the Bible you have seven specific covenants that are mentioned. A couple of them aren't called covenants, but that is what they are. The very first one is with Adam. Hey, if you eat of this tree, you will die. And then you have another covenant with the rainbow. You have another covenant with Abraham. You have two covenants with Moses. Uh, A lot of people don't realize that there were two. You have the first one that was immediately broken. Moses goes up on the mountain, makes a covenant with God, writes them on stone tablets. He comes down and they've already broken the covenant. So he smashes the covenant because that's what you do. And then he goes back up and he gets another covenant that isn't read until they end up going into the promised land. And Joshua even says, today we're going to read this covenant that isn't like the one that your forefathers had in the wilderness. So that is your little hint there that the covenant that Joshua reads that begins with love the Lord your God is different than the covenant that Moses originally brought down. So there are two covenants that Moses receives. The first one is broken immediately. The second one isn't established until they enter the promised land. That's when the people say, we will do this. Okay, and then you have a covenant with David. Did I mention the one with Abraham? I may have missed the one with Abraham. Um, He has a covenant with Abraham. He also has a covenant with David. And then last but not least, he has a covenant with Jesus. Jesus enters us into the new covenant. And so if you look, there's seven covenants, and they correspond, I believe, specifically to the seven pieces of furniture in the temple or the tabernacle. The brazen altar, the brazen laver, the uh, menorah, the candlestick, the showbread, the altar of incense, and then you have the mercy seat that sits on top of the Ark of the Covenant. So you have these seven covenants that progress through the story of the Bible. They culminate with Jesus, and you have these seven pieces of furniture that progress through the tabernacle that culminate with the Ark of the Covenant. And go study that out. There's too much for a podcast. It will end up being in the class. It will end up being one of the classes for Types and Shadows. But I say all that to say this. There's a progression of our relationship with God. That same progression is seen in the Bible. You see, when the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it is not saying that our relationship with him is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is outside of time. God is outside of space. Spirit is in all times, all places, experiencing all things all the time at the same time. No, duh, that he's the same all the time this at the same time because that's how it works. But you are inside of time. Humanity is inside of time. That every experience you have has a beginning and an end. And so for you to expect 
that your connection to this God that never changes to be the same yesterday, today, forever, for you to expect, and this kind of goes back into some of my things in this last episode about Israel, like for you to expect that the relationship that Israel had with him 4,000 years ago is the relationship humanity is supposed to have with him now is silly. It's literally against the laws of the universe that being inside of time that you would be able to have a static experience with God. No, our experience with God is always growing. I would even argue that Jesus came at an appointed time to launch us, to kick us over to another dimension of being both spirit and matter. But when he says that there's greater work still to be done, I firmly believe that humanity is still shifting even now in this coming age to an even different form of relationship with God. So covenant progression in the Bible is directly proportionate to relationship progression in your life. If you haven't heard me talk about it, Jesus in John, Gospel of John chapter 3, when he's talking to Nicodemus, you know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Well, That same chapter, in the beginning of that chapter, Nicodemus comes to John and says, hey, we know you're a teacher. No man could say and do the things you're doing if they weren't. So tell me how to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus then says, hey, dude, how can you enter into your mother's womb a second time? And Jesus ignores the question and says, you must be born of water and of spirit to enter the kingdom of God. So. You must be born again to see the kingdom. You must be born of water and of spirit, enter the kingdom. I don't know about you, but I would rather enter the kingdom of God instead of just see it. So even Jesus in John chapter 3 outlines a progression of your relationship. Now, I would directly relate this to the progression of the tabernacle, the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. Born again, born of water, born of spirit. And at the core of it is the Ark of the Covenant, which is born of God, which is John chapter one. So only three chapters earlier or two chapters earlier, John says that we have been given the right to become, to be born not of blood nor of flesh, but of God. And so we are born of God as we go through these three steps. That is the three-step process to becoming born of God. And those three steps look like the three different types of covenant that you start with a covenant with God that is essentially, hey, if you don't sin, I won't kill you, right? And it's a vassal covenant. And then it rolls through to, hey, if you, you know, we're, we're, I have now made you equal to me. This is what Jesus did, that he forgave you. And you now have this kind of mutual relationship with God. You have this kinship covenant. And then... I believe humanity is entering into the final layer, which is the grant covenant of regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you do, you are under my protection. You are with me. And I would even go so far as that we're almost getting to a point where it's not even about a covenant because there there is no separation. A covenant implies a separation that God is over there and you're over here. And we could have a debate you might be listening to this podcast and you might find holes in my presentation of the progression and all that stuff. That's fine. That's not the point of what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is your relationship with God grows. It gets better and better and better. 
That is what you're seeing in the Bible. The Israel's relationship, man's relationship with God grows. It gets better and better and better. So understanding that God is love, understanding that God is for life and that God doesn't want hatred and all that stuff, and then looking at the Old Testament and going, yeah, but why on earth would he tell them to murder all the children? It's not about God wanting that. It's about God understanding what humanity could handle. God understanding what our minds can comprehend. God understanding that we need to grow into becoming who we've always been. We need to understand the progression of our identity in God. And let's be honest, most of humanity for thousands of years has not seen its oneness with God. There have been tribes, there have been people, as Jesus says, there are, I have sheep that you do not know of. So I'm not saying that it's all of humanity, but by and large, humanity has been at war with itself and has been at war with each other. And the ability for God to come in and say, hey, you guys are all one and perfect and you should just love one another. To... Guys, in a world where you literally are fighting for your life that you literally have to, all you can do is spend time every day worrying about food and shelter and protection. You're literally in survival mode your entire existence. That's what ancient people had to deal with. It's only very recently that we have time to think about, that humans have time to think about hobbies and entertainment. Um, (laughs) I mean, think about it. There are entire industries built on making entertainment now. Put yourself a few thousand years ago, the idea of watching a movie or being an actor or anything like that, unless you were one of the few, you know, there was bits and pieces of entertainment inside of the larger cities like Rome and stuff. But even that is relatively new in human history. So when you're living that way, the idea of oneness and peace and following the spirit and all that, you're a long way from that. You're a long way from the ability to be at peace with what is going on in the world. And God, I believe, came in and started progressing us towards something better. And this progression is seen in the different ages as it's written in the stars. That Aries, the age of the ram, gives way to the age of Pisces, right? So the ram is the sacrificial system. It's a death-based system. And then you get Pisces, which is the age of the fisherman. Here's what's interesting. The symbol of Pisces is a fisherman with two fish on one string swimming in opposite directions. And I believe that humanity has been essentially double-minded about God for the last 2,000 years. That God is good, but he's also a punisher. That God has forgiven me, but I can also lose my salvation. That God is love, but he's also a judge. And our identity within ourselves has seen the goodness of God, but it's also still seen the judgment God. And it's seen the dual nature of humanity has lived its life in the last 2,000 years under the age of Pisces. But now we're coming into the age of Aquarius, where it is the man. Aquarius is a man, not a woman. And he is pouring out water from a clay jar And if you understand the four elements, ironically, although Aquarius is pouring out water, it's actually an air symbol. 
So it's a spirit symbol. And so I believe Aquarius is that the spirit of God is now going to be inside of man and we will be pouring it out to the world. And I could be wrong. I absolutely could be wrong. But I believe that this covenant progression, this growth progression of humanity is bringing us to a point where humanity is no longer going to see itself even being separate from God. This is what the New Age religion is largely starting to feel. This is what enlightened Christians are starting to see. Enlightened Buddhists are starting to see. Even some I know in Judaism are starting to see this lie that God is over there and we are over here, that I need to do something to be forgiven. I need to do something to be restored. I need to do something to have my divine identity. In reality, all I need is to believe that I am a creator. I need to believe that I am an individual drop of the ocean that is the universal mind, that I am an individual consciousness of God in this world, that I, and through me, God is experiencing existence. I was listening to, no, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who um, was listening to, I think it was Joe Rogan's podcast, and he had Alex Jones on there. And Alex Jones said something along those lines, like, hey, all humanity is, is God experiencing existence through each one of us. Individual, unique experiences. God has never experienced himself. He's never experienced life the way that he has experienced it through you. Now, again, if you put yourself outside of time, outside of space, and you are everywhere and you are everything, then that means you are experiencing everything all the time at the same time. And by the very definition of experience, that means you're not actually experiencing anything because nothing began and nothing ends. So it literally is the great I am. It is literally just consciousness without the ability to experience itself. Thus, we exist. Individual consciousnesses that have experiences, that have beginnings and ends, that have ups and downs, and that we are headed somewhere to where that experience is better and better because anybody in their right mind would not choose to experience hell. They would always choose to experience heaven, which is the point of the growth and the progression of our consciousness, both individually and collectively, that God would be able to experience existence in a higher and higher frequency and vibration, less and less hell, more and more heaven, and that we would grow and that in us and as us, God himself is experiencing something new and that God himself is becoming a new creation. If you go on the website, you will see a new creature, I should say. Obviously, he's not created. He is the creator. But you will go see uh, on the website, I have a teaching on there called God 2.0, and I kind of outline this in a different way. But that's what I'm saying, is that we are the manifestation of God 2.0. In us, God now has a physical existence. In us, God now has a body. In us, God now has a beginning and an end to his experience, her experience, its experience, whatever you want to call it. 
that today you woke up and tonight you will go to sleep. And until we existed, that never happened for God. Until we existed, there never was the beginning of a vacation and the end of a vacation. There was never the beginning of pain and the end of pain. It was all things at all times with no end and no beginning. And thus, all it was, all God is the I am. But our existence allows him to finish the sentence. I am happy. I am sad. I am cold. I am hungry. I am fat. I am skinny. I am sick. I am well. That literally the ability to experience being is happening in us for God. And that is our place as God. And humanity is waking up to this reality that we are, there is no separation. That literally we are the body of God and that we are literally individual consciousnesses of the universal mind known as the Father. We are individual consciousnesses that use logic known as Jesus to create just the way that the Father did. That literally Jesus, logic, is the thing that creates our life and it holds and frames all things together. Again, Jesus is not the Father, Father is not Jesus, and neither are you. You are not the Father, you are not Jesus, you are you. You are an individual consciousness, you are the body of God, Christ is the head, so on and so forth. I hope you're getting my overall point, that God has always been this way, but we are the ones that are becoming something. We are the ones that are growing and maturing And we've started with this major idea of separation and uh, lessness. We've literally believed that we were not God, that we were not worthy, that we were nothing like him. And therefore, Adam and Eve reached for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to eat a piece of fruit to try to make themselves like God. And now we're getting back further and further to the place. I say back. You've heard me talk about how the garden was never... We're not going back to the garden. You know, being an innocent child is not the same as being an innocent adult. We're going back to innocence, but we're not going back to being babies. Um, We're going into maturity and maintaining our innocence. But nonetheless, we are going back to our innocence, where we realize we don't have to do anything to be like God. We already are. We are his body. And as a matter of fact, and I talk about this in God 2.0, that you know, Eve should have known that she was God because she had a body. And here's what I mean. We don't need another universal consciousness. That's Father's job. We don't need another creative power known as logic. That's Jesus's job. But they needed the ability to experience life. That's our job. And so Eve should have looked at her body as evidence of her being an extension of God or God 2.0, as opposed to looking at her body as evidence of being other than God. God's over there. I am not like him. Therefore, I am not him. It's true that we're not like him in function, but our function being unique should be the evidence that we are him in a different way. No different than Jesus saying, I and the father are one. And yet he regularly differentiated himself from being the father. You and the father are one, but you're not the universal mind. You are the father in one, but you're not Jesus. You are the experiential, physical presence of God. And now humanity is starting to see that. And I believe it's killing religion. Thank God. I believe that 
most concepts around Christianity and Hinduism and all that stuff, that the more enlightened individuals that we are starting to understand that things like the internet and podcasts have helped more and more people hear these different ideas and humanity is growing in its maturity faster than it ever has before because we're realizing, oh my gosh, I don't need a system. I don't need rules. I don't need this and need that. None of those things outside of me actually give me the thing that I already have. The only thing that gives me the thing I already have is to look inside and realize that the kingdom of heaven has been inside of me this whole time. To realize that I've always been one with God. I've always been his experiential being. And there was never, ever any separation in any part of this equation except in my mind. As Paul says, we were enemies in our minds, and that is it. We were never enemies with God except in our minds. And so if we realize that we were never enemies with God, then we'll actually realize that we never needed to be forgiven. We never needed Jesus. Like none of Jesus didn't have to die for us and da 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 da. Like logic did. The principle of logic dying and becoming death and everything was absolutely non-negotiable. That would be the class known as origin of the universe. But Jesus specifically, uh, some man that died, that's again for our minds. That logic had to experience I am notness, that logic had to become death, that logic had to become sin, is absolutely non-negotiable. And therefore, Jesus is non-negotiable. But nonetheless, it wasn't about what we thought it was about. And what we thought it was about was about, well, now dad's not going to punish you. Now dad's not going to kill you. And it was a covenant progression in our minds. And it was yet something so much bigger in the reality of it. And now we're realizing, oh my goodness, I've always been We've always been. And now we're getting to this place where it is, God has always been here and now we're just figuring it out. And so it looks like, and it feels like God is changing again. And Christians everywhere are going, but he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he looks like Jesus and we need you to, guess what guys? He's always been this way. We're just figuring it out now. And he gave it in the Bible, through types and shadows, through this understanding of progression. And this is what I'm hoping New Age Christianity really understands as a community. That, yeah, God has always been the same. Yet, if it's true, there's a way in which it is true. And we're headed somewhere. We've always been headed somewhere. And that goes for humanity as a whole, and certainly you as an individual. I hope your relationship with God as God is not the same that it's always been. Oh my gosh. I know quite a few people that pride themselves on, you know, they're the same as they were 20 years ago. Like they think it's this thing of pride that they still believe all the same thing. And what it is, is they found these answers. They found answers and they think that life is about finding answers. When in reality, life is about finding principles and the answers are specific to scenarios and people. And I've talked about that before, so I won't belabor the point. I hope you've changed. I hope you continue to change. I hope that five episodes from now, I say something I don't know as of the recording of this episode. I hope that three years from now, some of these episodes I take down because I don't believe them anymore, or I redo them because they were just so gosh awful. I don't know. But change and growth and becoming is a law of the universe. There is literally nothing living in the universe that doesn't grow. 
There is nothing living and alive in the universe that doesn't become. And that's exactly what we've done in our understanding and our connection to this unchangeable God has nothing to do with, well, that God wasn't real or, oh, those were just people thinking they knew God. No, it is absolutely in the intention of God that has brought us further and further and further. So I don't believe the Old Testament was a mistake. I just believe that's what humanity could take. That's what humanity could understand at that point. And then humanity for 2,000 years has been able to understand that, well, I'm forgiven because Jesus died for me. And now for the next 2,000 years, we're going to realize, oh, I never actually needed to be forgiven in the first place. The forgiveness is simply means the restoration of relationship, and it was always in my own head. Huh. So why did Jesus die? Oh, it must have been something bigger than that. Logic, becoming death, becoming the I am not, so that we could be call ourselves spirit. Got it. Anyway, I hope this has blessed you guys. I hope you've understood a bit more about the Old Testament and the confusion between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and maybe a bit more about your own journey or the journey of those around you. Understanding that growth is a progression or that divinity is a progression has helped me with a lot of grace with people who think I'm of the devil or people who, you know, I watch them come so far and then they, because this stuff is deep and life-changing, you would be amazed how many people have come in, they kind of get what they need and then they leave. And then some come back, some don't. And I don't judge them for that. I don't feel like, oh, I don't feel used for that. I just understand, hey, spirit has got got all of us on different paths. And if some of this stuff, you know, if two years from now you just find yourself not engaged with New Age Christianity because it's gone cuckoo or it's just not, spirit's not, it's not relevant for where you're at or whatever, um, maybe you've gone beyond New Age Christianity and maybe we've found our place in the kingdom and we've just kind of made camp. Or maybe we're going so far into new stuff and never stop changing that uh, you find that you find a place to make camp. Great. It's all progression and it's all good. I don't judge myself through this lens of I got to find the right answers and then never move. And I certainly don't judge other people. You find the answers that are relevant for where you're at and do your best. Hence, four agreements, the fifth agreement, all those things. You know, just... Do your best. Don't make assumptions. Don't take things personally. And it'll be all good. So I hope this has helped you. And this is probably, if any episode uh, manifests my favorite saying, if anything is true, there's a way in which it is true. Absolutely. There's a way in which the covenant of the Old Testament was still the God that we're discovering today. And hopefully now you know how that is true. As always, please consider donating. Thank you for asking Holy Spirit if you should. And uh, we will see you guys on the next episode. Bye.